You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. One of my uh, favorite TV comedies, you can see it on Netflix, is a it's a BBC show called The Tath- Catherine Tate Show. And of all the comedy routines that she does, my all-time favorite is one that she calls, I can do that. It's an ongoing bit that she does where co-workers and acquaintances find themselves in a jam, but they need someone with very, very specific knowledge, knowledge which she clearly does not have. Like when a friend is training for a tennis championship and all of a sudden she needs like an Olympic level tennis player coach to train her, she impulsively blurts, I can do that. And then when they hit the court, we watch the horror come across her friend's face as she realizes that Catherine doesn't know how to play tennis at all. Every time I watch it, I I find it both laugh out loud funny and cringeworthy because I can totally relate. I can totally relate because over and over again in my life, I've tried to appear as if I know about things that I don't. And it's gotten me into a lot of trouble. In situations when it would have been much easier and simpler to say, honestly, I don't know what you're talking about. Or no, I've actually not seen that movie. Time and again, I've gotten twisted up in my desire to seem smart and capable. That is, until I make it abundantly clear that there's no way that I can know if I'm a better fit for Slytherin or Ravenclaw or Hufflepuff or Gryffindor because, I must confess, I've actually never seen or read Harry Potter. I know, I know. It's really painful (laughs) to say that. Saying when I don't know about something is not something I like to do. Because somewhere along the line, I became convinced that my self-worth is tied to how much I know. That the more things I know, the more useful I am. But when I think my value is based on how much I know, then I start trying to figure everything out on my own, and I I turn inward. I don't ask for help, and ultimately, I find myself alone. And throughout my life, I found that there's no worse place for me to be than to think that I'm alone. So the fact is that I desperately need a God who can save me from my tendency to try and figure it all out, a God who can save me from thinking that I can go it alone. This week, I've been thinking a lot about whether we can know it all, because today is the Feast of the Holy Trinity. As Nadia mentioned, it's a day that we have affectionately come to call uh, Church Doctrine Sunday. Because after all, it's the only feast day in the entire church year set aside to honor a, a teaching of the church rather than an event in Scripture or a saint. So by the end of today... Across the world, hundreds of thousands of sermons will have been preached about how much we can know or not know 
about the most mysterious and paradoxical Christian teaching. That is, that God is simultaneously one and three at the same time. And if we could eavesdrop on some of them, we'd probably hear pastors explain the Trinity with metaphors like how water exists in three different states, liquid, gas, and solid, and yet somehow they're the same core substance. We'd likely also hear other pastors immediately turn to mystery and admit that it can't be understood and therefore we should just accept it and believe that the Trinity is true. Perhaps that works for others, but I'm not really that big on believing something just for the sake of believing it or just to get my Christian orthodoxy card stamped. I need to hear why holding on to a mystery like the Trinity might make a difference in my life. Which is why I'm really happy that on Trinity Sunday, we get to hear from Holy Scripture and not a passage from church doctrine. Because doctrine has never saved me. But the God who is the source of all life has saved me. And in today's reading from Genesis, we get to go back to that source. And from that source, we get to hear that in the beginning there was God. That from the very beginning of time and space, God has been with us. That even in the darkest days of the universe, before earth took shape, before the sun burst forth a single ray, the breath of our loving God pulsated through and surrounded every atom of all there ever was and is and will be. And that from this sea of potential, the divine breath brought forth light and darkness day and night, cloud and rain, land and sea, plants and animals. And then God said that all of it was good. All of it was good. And then in the midst of the garden of delight that God called good, God said, let us, let us make humankind in our image. Which says to me that at the heart of God is a we, not a me. And that if we are created in the image of that divine we, then we will never be alone. We were created from the breath of a divine community. And therefore, we are born into, live into, and die into a life that is forever shared. We are forever a part of, never apart from. We are never alone because God is never alone. And then in today's gospel reading from Matthew, we hear more about this God who wants so desperately for us to know that we are never alone. So desperately that he took flesh and lived among us, and even when we turned against him and killed him, believing there was no way God would get that close to us, the risen Christ desired nothing else than to draw near to us again. So much so that he gathered his faltering friends together on a mountaintop, the same friends who had just betrayed him. 
And we hear how on that mountaintop the disciples worshipped Jesus, but some doubted. After all they had gone through with Jesus, some still did not know what was happening. And yet, Jesus still sends them out, all of them, the doubters and the believers, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he promises all of them, see, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Jesus promises to be with all of us always because his kingdom isn't built on belief. Because if even the doubters are blessed and sent out as ambassadors of God, then belonging to God has to be built on something much greater than belief. Belonging has to be rooted in a God whose very life force is belonging. Earlier this week, I asked you on Facebook what you would miss if suddenly the Trinity were no longer a part of our faith. And almost all of you said something about how the Trinity says to you that ultimately God is a community. And that if God in herself is a community, then you have hope that you belong as well. Honestly, I was surprised by how many of you wrote so beautifully and passionately about the Trinity. I mean, I expected a couple of our theological nerds to respond like, I'm not going to mention names. <laughs> but I didn't expect to hear from person after person speak so clearly about your need for the Trinity. I mean, you didn't write theological treatises, you didn't cite intricate arguments from the 4th century church fathers, but you wrote very simple and compelling statements of faith about how God in three persons reassures you that you are not alone, and that you belong to God. And what all of this tells me is though, though we do not need to understand the doctrine of the Trinity, we desperately need the God who inspired that doctrine. I desperately need this God. The God who doesn't ask me to figure it all out, who doesn't ask me to go it alone. I need the God who tells me that I belong no matter how much I understand or don't understand. I need the God whose spirit hovers over every atom of creation and calls all of it good. I need the God who calls all of me and all of us to the mountaintop, believer and doubter, sinner and saint, and tells all of us that there is nothing for us to figure out in order to belong. We are needed, all of us are needed, none of us are wasted, and none of us are lost. Because we all belong to God, and God will never leave us alone because God is never alone. Happy Holy Trinity Sunday. Amen. Amen.